this is William Fink, and this is Christagenia Internet Radio. Today is Saturday. Oh, today is Friday, June twenty second, two thousand and eighteen. <coughs> Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. If we didn't have so many wonderful friends here with us this evening, we probably wouldn't have a program at all. I spent most of this week attending to Clifton Emmerheiser. He had a um, he had a doctor's appointment on Tuesday to see about the carcinoma, the skin cancer that was removed from his head. And getting home from that doctor's appointment, he had a bad fall here in our living room. Clifton didn't break anything, but investigating why he had been so weak recently and what may have caused his fall, it was found that he had elevated troponine levels in his bloodstream, and that indicates a worsening of his heart failure and the possibility that he had suffered minor heart attacks without really even noticing it, which is very possible at Clifton's age. So spending 10 hours in the emergency room with him last night, Clifton's been admitted to the hospital and hopefully they'll be able to rectify the situation and we'll get a few more years out of him. That's what I'm praying for. But for now, I've been pretty much tied up for most of the last several days with that situation. And I couldn't possibly prepare a program. Tonight we have several friends here with us and, and I thought it might be best and it might be edifying if we can just have a discussion, a, a sort of good old boys round table or redneck round table and ask some of our friends how they came to Christian identity. And we're going to start with Ferlin from Pennsylvania, who did not want to go first, who was absolutely reluctant to go at all. Ferlin has been listening to um, to the podcast of Chris DeGenninger, I know, since at least the middle and maybe even the beginning of 2009, when I first started, right from the rip, right? Right. What fond memories do you have of the Eli James days? Uh, <laughs> in the beginning, it was it was fine, but then, uh, you know, listen to many programs that you had with him, and then finally one day he come out and, and showed his true colors to who he really was, you know, that that's when I split totally with him. Well, so. I, I'm just really kidding about Eli James. Yeah. But how did you find Christian identity? That's what I really want to know. That's what I think people like to hear. Yeah. Well, the way I found it is I started out in uh, 10 years ago. I went to a family reunion, and my my brother and my uncle were arguing over religion. And my uncle was, he was uh, evangelist. He listened to everybody on TV thinking that, you know, they were telling the truth. And my brother, he... He told me things I thought that were wrong because he said Hitler was a good man, and he told me a lot of other things that I didn't, he didn't, I didn't believe because I listened, I watched TV, and I didn't, didn't understand what he was saying. But like I said, so I, when I came back here, that was that was down in Arkansas on a family reunion. But when I came back to Pennsylvania, I 
I, I first thing I, I got a, a King James Bible and I started studying and I studied. I read it over numerous times. And the more I studied, the more I started to get little facts. But I, I just I had to. I prayed and I did what it said in the scripture. I gave up the certain foods like swine and other things. And that's what brought me around totally is praying and, and a lot of studying. And then once I, I did all that, I started to go online too and studying other people that were Christian identity. So your brother just slapped you in the face with a Christian identity. Yeah. And I, it just blew me away because I couldn't believe that, you know, what he was saying because I was, uh, you know, I'm used to watching TV and they're telling you that Hitler was bad and all this other crap, you know, and my uncle was telling me everything else that everybody else says, that, you know, universalist crap so 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 your uncle did your brother show your uncle christian identity yeah but he he rejected it and but my brother was telling me the the right thing which at the time i thought it was wrong because he was telling me hitler was a good man I, you know everybody's telling you evil so i thought it was evil yeah. and this is your younger brother he's a lot like younger yeah, than you yeah he's he's Come November, he'll be 50. Well, who I'm, pays attention to your younger brothers <laughs> <laughs> well i did because i i had to you know I had a choice. I, I wanted to study. I didn't know anything about scripture. I had, I, so I decided to study who was telling the truth. He's telling me, my younger brother, he was telling me this, and my my uncle was telling me that he's telling me something bad and it's evil and it's wrong because he's telling my dad this. So, well, well, what I'm getting at is, to me, it's yeah. a sign of humility that that you have humility to listen to your little brother at all, right? Yeah. Because most people are like, get the hell out of here, kid. Yeah. Beat it, kid. <laughs> right. That this can't be right. 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 And they would just yeah. despise their little bit. And, and that's, I think, the experience that most people have. Yeah. <clears throat> like Christ said, yeah, you know, who, no man is a prophet in his own household or his right. own fatherland. Right. Yeah. So I think it's to your credit that you listen to your brother at all, even if he didn't take the, the necessarily best approach. Right. That you at least understood that you should probably look into it. Right. And that's, that's what I did. Because, you know, my, my uncle's telling me he's telling you some evil. He's doing evil and he's telling him bad things. And so I wanted to find out because I don't really think my bad, you know, my dad to, to, you know, fall under some something that wasn't right. But so that's why I started to study as soon as I got back. So your dad was listening to your brother? Yeah, he was listening to my brother. So that was probably your real cause for looking into it. Yeah, right. That's what, what motivated me. If your dad took your uncle's position, maybe you would have said, get out of here. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm, I I went on many sites. I mean, after that, after I studied scripture and I started to see some truths in the scripture, but there was more I wanted to see and I couldn't see it. So I, w I went online and I started studying other people online and I studied many. I probably all of them out there I studied. And like, and I went to your site and everybody else's, but this year's the only one I've stayed with the rest of them. I've discarded because they've always said something that wasn't right. I knew it wasn't right. So, you know, Christian was <laughs> Christian was a brand new site in 2009. Right. I, I was just getting started. I didn't have a whole I, yeah. I mean, I had the essays, the, the historical essays and biblical essays that I wrote while I was in prison online and whatever new podcasts I did with Eli James. But I've written thousands of pages since 2009. Right. Yeah. The, the original site in 09 really wasn't much to speak of i don't think right compared yeah. to what it is today well many sites though i looked at they they there was always something when I, if i started studying they told me some truths but then i found that eventually they're going to say something that that i knew was wrong 
And if they said one thing wrong, I was done. I'm not going back to them. You know, if I don't hear their whole truth, I don't want to hear any of it. You know, so that's the way I felt. And that's why I stuck with your site. After all the rest of them I got, I discarded them. Because they, they heard one lie out of the, all the truths, and that's that's uh, that's not you know I'm not going to put up with that. Now, there's always um, <clears throat> I'm not beating my chest. A lot of Christian Danny sites push six and eight day creation and and other things that really aren't scriptural. Yeah, they're really not. And and when you put when you hear them and you compare them to scripture, they sound like used car salesmen. Right. They sound that way to me. And, and I was there. I mean, well, when I first read, before I really studied scripture, I, I read the six and eight day creation thing back when I first started to study Christian identity. And it seemed like it made sense. But after a couple of years of study, I realized that this, that this can't make sense. That God didn't create two races and call them both Adam. <laughs> that, that these people in... Genesis chapter one that are the pinnacle of God's creation have to be the same race right. that, that we are in the same race in Genesis chapter two and Genesis chapter five. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking about doing a program on that actually next Friday, which is why I, I raised that aspect of it, that there is a lot of um, Christian identity websites that, that promote things that, can't really be established and and that really aren't true once you really study them and they promote them as truths and and there are things that might seem true to somebody that doesn't know any better right but anybody who really knows scripture can't accept them exactly yeah anybody who really knows their scripture can't accept the eighth day creation because scripture refutes that. So, so it's that those sites that those people that adopt those heresies because they sound good, they really don't do us any favors in the long run. No, that's for sure. That <clears throat> they're really discrediting us in, in the eyes of, of Bible scholars or, or people that actually study and, and investigate the matter. Yeah. So that's that that's always been a disappointment to me too. Yeah, that's why I stuck to your side because you give me, you know, you, you show me the where to find the what you're saying, and and I know what you're saying is true because I've studied it. Well, I appreciate that. That's humbling. When when I started to study CI, I read a lot of Wesley Swift pamphlets and a lot of Bertrand Compare and yeah. a few other authors, and I'm like, where do you get that from? Where do you get that from? Where do you get that from? They're not telling me where they got that from. And even when they tell you where they got something from, it wasn't a proper academic citation. And I'll give you an example. E. Raymond Capp talked about how Diodorus Siculus mentioned Moses in the Exodus. Right? Yeah. And he said it's in Diodorus Siculus. Well, Diodorus Siculus is 12 volumes. So... I'm starting to read. Uh, I've got my mother. I'm in prison. I started to read Theodore Siculus. I can only get two or three volumes at a time, right? So I'm reading volume one. Okay. Volume two. Okay. Set that aside. Volume three. Set that aside. Volume four. What's this guy full of shit? <laughs> volume five. <laughs> volume six. Volume seven. He's pulling my damn leg. <laughs> volume eight. Volume nine. Volume <laughs> ten. No way. Don't tell me this ain't in there. Volume 11. 
volume 12. Finally, in volume 12, that's where it was. Yeah. So he was telling me the truth. Now, I got a lot of other stuff reading Theodore Siculus. I may not have read it so avidly if he didn't give me that quote. And I'm looking for it, right? <laughs> I'm looking for it because I want to know if this guy told me the truth. He never told me what volume it was in. It was in volume 12. I had to read through 11 volumes to find this quote to realize that this guy was telling me the truth. <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah. then, for that reason, that's why when I started writing things like German Origins and, and Trojan Roman Judah, I tried my best to document everything I could. Right, because that's why I want to hear. I want sources. I don't right. want you know tell me something, but I want to show you. you got to show me where you got it from. Right, you know exactly. So, yeah, and and a lot of early and and I, I find this in my experience. A lot of early Christian identity teachers, they really didn't want to give up their sources. And I've seen people copy my work and not tell the other people that they're copying for where they got it from. Because they want to be the source. They want to be the source. And that way they can control the information and be the pastor or the teacher. They want to be the source. They don't want to share their sources for that reason. And, and that's, to me, that attitude's unfortunate. It's just unfortunate. I've seen that attitude with a lot of people in old timers, especially in Christian identity. And, and it's pretty sad. So what we do um, the best by each other by sitting down and sharing and discussing information openly and giving all our citations and showing each other where it came from. And right. that's how we build an academic Christian identity that's on a solid bedrock that's not going to be toppled over so easy. Right. Yeah, because wanna, it isn't true. Yeah, because I want to hear. I want some sources. I don't want you just tell me something. You have to prove it to me. Right. You know. Oh, take my word for it. Yeah. Just take my word for it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the wrong attitude. Right. It is. We got a few other friends here with us. I don't know if they're gonna. If, if they're gonna. They're, they're kind of camera shy. I am too. But at least I, I gave it my best shot. Microphone so. <laughs> shy. I'm gonna pray some of them speak up. Well, guys. Uh, my journey might start way back, 1978, when I was having a little bit of stress and turmoil in my life. Um, I came home from work one day and opened up my mailbox, and there was this tract in there called The, the New Birth. And it seemed like at that time that's exactly what I needed and what I wanted. So I uh, read cover to cover and uh, said the sinner's prayer and, quote, became born again. Well, um, I was on fire, went to work, and there, unbeknownst to me, there was a couple guys in there that were, they called themselves Christians, and uh, they said, well, there's, there's more to that. Uh, don't you know you have to be spirit-filled? And, and in order to do that, you have to speak in tongues. And so, wow. Uh, I thought that was craziness, but one night they uh, got me cornered, and we're sitting in a circle holding hands, and uh, I started blabbing some gibberish, and uh, so I was spirit-filled, and uh, from then I just went from uh, church to church and denomination to denomination. I wanted to know why there were so many denominations in uh, Christendom, so I bought this uh, handbook, and it had uh, all the USA 
denominations in it. And I just kind of like devoured that. I read it, and read it through. And, and I ended up in lots of churches. And, if I, and what I didn't uh, go to, I studied. Uh, I was in um, Assemblies of God churches, Wesleyan, Methodist churches, Holiness churches. But uh, they all seemed to be lacking something. And uh, from there, I... Uh, uh, found uh, reformed churches, and uh, maybe some of you might have heard of uh, this Harold Camping um, that had the 1994 debacle and the 2011. Well, I was uh, I was into that mess, and uh, it caused me a lot of heartache at the end. But um, for 18 years, I uh, listened to this guy until. Uh, of course, his prophecies didn't come true. And then I, I was like searching some more. So I go on, uh, get my first computer about that time in the 2000s and um, started checking out sites and um, found some some other ones that I uh, found. And that was uh, Sheldon Emery. And I read, read most of his papers. And uh, from there, I went to uh, Ben Williams. They... Uh, it seemed to be, uh, I think they called themselves One Seed Line or uh, something similar. So I uh, studied some more, went to this uh, site uh, in um, Australia that had, um, uh, I think it's, it's, his name was uh, John DeWitt. John DeWitt. That sounds vaguely familiar. Oh, and Arnold Ken Kennedy was the and Arnold Kennedy, right? And I studied them, and I really, really learned a lot. But from there, they had like a sister church, which was right here in uh, the states, and that was a, a fellowship of you know, God's covenant people in um, Kentucky. So I checked them out in Mark Downey, and I, I, I just really learned a, a tremendous amount of uh, information about Christian identity from uh, Mark. Downey and uh, Cope, uh, Pastor uh, Don Elmore there. And they had links on their site to uh, Christoginia, so I uh, checked out Christoginia and uh, found Bill's site. And uh, lo and behold, man, that's, that's just, that seems like, wow, I, I, could not, I must be on the pinnacle of, it, of knowing all information now, because this guy here just uh, brought it all to light for me because he went into the historical narrative of it. And that's just what I needed. I needed proof of what, what I was hearing. So uh, here I am I'm, uh, down here in Panama City, and uh, hopefully I can help out as much as I can so Bill doesn't have to go through all this turmoil he has uh, recently to uh, free him up on what he does best, and that's uh, producing more material for us. Well, that's appreciated. I can't thank Yahweh enough for, for that. How, how did you, uh, I mean, how did you find Sheldon? I'm, I'm concerned about the details. How, how first, the whole um, Pentecostal thing, the speaking in tongues. I have people that contact me. Their faith is broken because they think they have to speak in tongues and they can't. And, and they're broke. They're broke men. That they're dejected. They're, they think that they're spurious because they can't buy the speaking in tongues things. 
because they can't do it. So I, I do my best to explain it to them. There's a forum member right now in Krista Getting. He's been a forum member for about three or four months who's just coming out of that stuff, mm -hmm. who was dejected because he couldn't speak in tongues and everybody went to church and they're rolling on the floors and they're babbling all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. Exactly. And, and he thinks he's missing out on something. Yeah. He thinks he's shortchanged. <laughs> he's like, what am I, a devil or something? <laughs> Well, I was the same way. I, I kind of faked it just, just so I could be in with the, with the group. It, is there a peer pressure there? That, yes, there is a peer pressure. That, that makes it's like when we're little kids and we start smoking our first cigarette. <laughs> You're not one of us if you don't do it. And then you can't cough, right? Because everybody will call you a pussy if you cough. <laughs> oh, look at him. He's a girl. He's coughing his head off. Yeah. It, it's yeah, yeah, right. The speaking in tongues thing that there's a lot of pressure on those people, and I think once they engage in it, that they it's something psychological that they can't deny it after that. It, they fall into a psychological trap. It, do you think that's accurate? Do you yes. think that's a good description? Very good description. It's crazy. But how how did you find Sheldon Emery? I, I, I well, I had basic. Um, questions about whether there's a hell, whether there's a heaven. Um, he was discussing a lot of that stuff. Right, he exactly. he did real good in a lot of ways. So he I just couldn't come to 2C line. I searched Google and found out, and I, I just came to his site. I don't know, it was there, and then I just started reading. It was through Google. Nobody referred him to me or anything. I just uh, Yeah, I mean, a lot of my best friends, Bruce Bond in Georgia, he, he was with Sheldon Emery 30 years. Okay. Um, Mark Downey. Now, Mark Downey never came to 2C line, but he did a lot of good stuff. Mm -hmm. he, he he really did. He, had, he, he was 90% of the way there, but, and, and he did well with what he had. I'm not going to take that away from him, but but he was Sheldon Emery, and, and I think that was part of the stumbling block why he never really came to 2C line, because he loved Sheldon Emery. There's a lot of CI people that are Sheldon Emery. More than we think, probably. How do we get the rest of them to two C line? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just. I don't expect you to answer that, but well, they need to start from the best, and that's uh, Christoginia. Well, thank you. It's right, Clifton's work. Clifton's two C line work is what because I was right on the or I was right on right on the fence. In 2011, and when I read Clifton's work in 2013, when Don Brown sent me his link, and I started reading two seed line stuff, I read every every page of every document that he wrote, and that's what pushed me over the fence. And I knew then, and I'm I'm like uh, Doug there. I was Emory was my person. First person I ever knew of in CI. And I don't think it was even called CI back then. I don't remember what it was called. Yeah, you know, I really hope to bring it to light. But Clifton, next week, uh, I'm going to do a program from Clifton's papers on the only atom of Genesis. Mm -hmm. Because there's only one atom in Genesis. And Clifton did that. I proofread that for him. He he did that probably back in 2004, 2005. Mm -hmm. Clifton really did do a lot of stuff that I wouldn't do.
He did a lot of painstaking, um, step-by-step, stone-by-stone, block-by-block explanation of very basic concepts mm-hmm. in, in a lot of his papers, like like the whole special notices to all who denied two C-line series like that I just kind of covered, right? I did a cover of it, if you want to talk in rock band lingo. Um, he, he did a lot of that but with the beast of the field and, and the atom of Genesis and, and a whole lot of other topics where, where he just tried to lay out all the facts about what the definitions and the lexicons and the, the, the Bible translations and, and the renderings in the Bible of different words and the word studies that if you could wade through it all, you really have a pretty solid foundation and you're not going to be knocked off course too easy. You're really not. If you could wade through it all, because Clifton did a lot of work. I, I mean, his hundreds and hundreds of documents on his website. Mm-hmm. So that it, it's invaluable. I've never tried to really... Uh, go back and redo Clifton. I've taken his work and I've done commentaries on it and I've tried to expound on it, but I I would never try to go back and write my own Beast of the Field paper because Clifton's done that. Mm-hmm. Or, or th- th- there's a lot of topics. Yeah, right. That he's done. That That's the building blocks. Right. And, and if you really want to understand a lot of what I say, you have to go back to Clifton and get those that, those fundamentals down. Boy, it, uh, I didn't mean, I didn't no. mean to interrupt you there. No, no you, you didn't. I'm, I'm you saw me speak at um, the Fellowship of God's Covenant People, I think, in 2016. I, I made a special trip from Columbus, Ohio to uh, Kentucky to, to listen to you to see if you were real. <sighs> you were? You're, you're real. <laughs> yeah, I met you and uh, Melissa. Of course, you, you don't remember me, but... Um, no, I do. I, I did remember you. When I saw you, I remembered you. I remembered meeting you there. I really did, honestly. I'm not lying. But it, it's to connect. All, well, you sent me an email and told me you were headed down here, and I'm like, I didn't remember you. To be, But, okay, this gentleman that knew me from FGCP is headed down here, and that's wonderful, so I hope he gets in touch with me when he gets here. Because it, it, the email was worded in a way that I, I probably should just let you get down here and get settled in. That, that's what it indicated to me, the way you wrote it. So I was really shocked. I, I mean, I almost fell over to see you. And, and when, when, when you read a thing like a League of the South conference and, and you're seeing a whole bunch of people that you either haven't seen in a long time or never saw before and you want to touch base with them all, and you're in a big room and you only got six hours. You're kind of overwhelmed, man. You, you don't know, you, you know where you got to put your attention because you, you want to give everybody your attention, right? You want to give 50 guys your attention in six hours. It's hard to do, right? So you just do what you can. But when I saw you there, I was really shocked to see you there. And I'm like, I did remember 
seeing you in, in, in Kentucky, no kidding. but I just couldn't spend the time with you that I wanted to spend in that environment, right? right. Because it's like, wow, I got 50 guys to pay attention to. Well, you had your dog with you. And, and I got this dog to get back to in my, locked in my, in my little travel trailer at lunchtime, right? He'd been there for four hours and who knows what's happened there, right? So, but we had the new puppy with us. It, it's um yeah the the distractions in a, in a <clears throat> setting like that are innumerable and I really felt bad the next day well, that no, I no, couldn't no. spend the time with you that you merited so it, it's really a blessing to have you here right well thank you everything's worked out well I think that's great and and your son too that's like a double blessing no doubt it's a blessing to me right well. Uh, I, I, my, my own, I mean, the League of the South, I, I think is a, is a worthy cause because it helps us express what we believe out in the real world. Right. Right. It's a vehicle for that. Right. And it's a good vehicle filled with great people. So we need that vehicle. We have to express exactly. what we believe out in the real world. I can't just be some clown that sits behind a pile of books and a keyboard and doesn't do anything else. So, so it, it's great to see you willing to take part in that. Yeah, I think maybe God would be using maybe uh, the League of the South maybe as a as a an arm for Christian identity for um, for uh, as time comes when the when the kingdom falls, maybe the beast system falls and. Uh, when he tells us to rise and thresh, that would, uh, well, that's what I'm looking for. When the beast system falls, every white man is not Christian identity, mm -hmm. had better become Christian identity, exactly. Exactly. or he ain't going to last. And, and have a group that, that he can uh, cover his back with. Well, well right. And, and it's an excellent group of men. Right. And, and a lot of them are Christian identity, and the ones that aren't, they're there anyway, even if they don't know it. Mm -hmm. and, and Christian identity isn't expressed in in mere words and labels it's expressed in actions right and you could have all the words and labels but if you don't have the actions then what the hell what good are you so, so you, you've been a real blessing and you don't even know it but you haven't but the um Getting from, uh, I when you found the Fellowship of God's Covenant people, I, I don't want to talk about it about Mark Downey, and I don't have anything bad to say about Don Elmore, but how did you balance out the difference between the two? <laughs> well, they were like, uh, they were they were different. Uh, Don Elmore is more into uh, uh, U.S. history, I believe, and he had a lot of anecdotes about uh, different things that happened uh, from the beginning of... Um, Constitution and, and all the way up through the presidencies and stuff, and, and he was good at that. I don't know how he did his research, but he got some good information that I enjoyed. But Mark Downey uh, was more a traditional type uh, preacher and uh, taught um, his um, view of Christian identity. But which was weird, but it worked. It, it did. It, it's I, I mean, Mark had the race thing and the Jew thing down pat, and and. Yeah, and as far as I've always been concerned, if, if you understand that Jesus Christ is God, 
that all the other races are excluded and that the Jews are our enemies and they're not God's people. If you understand those three things, we have to get along. We could differ on other stuff. You may not believe the Genesis account the way I believe it. Uh, I think that's silly, but I can accept that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I can accept that you can't quite see what I see because as long as we agree on what's important and fundamental to our survival, we've got to get along as brothers. And, and it pains me that so many people in Christian identity agree on those basics and still get divided over stupid shit. Right. Did Adam have a belly button? Yeah, did Adam have a belly button? Right. Big toe, right. Yeah, Big toe was a big thorn in our side. Big toe was a whole Jewish operation. Flat Earth. Flat Earth. Flat Earth's another one. Flat Earth is another. I, I had a guy in North Carolina broke my heart. He disappeared from my fellowship. I hosted a website for him. And he, he made a lot of those Christiania graphics, those cool logos, like the Celtic cross over the, over the rolling fields of weed. He, he made that. He, made, he did a lot of great stuff. <coughs> and got angry. He never told me why he was parting ways with me. He just parted ways with me. And then I visited his Google Plus page like a year later and found out that he was a flat earther. And I went, scrolled down and down and down and down and found out that he really parted ways with me because he was flat earth and I wasn't buying it. So he split with me over flat earth. <laughs> it seems absurd. And, and that, that's a damn shame, but that's how divisive that stupid, and I'm going to call it stupid shit because it is, that's how divisive that stupid shit is. It was like a comment I made on Facebook yesterday about flat earth and there was something else. I said, all it is is division caused by the Jews in the white race. Who the hell, when do I ever talk about the shape of the earth? Never. Unless I get confronted by some flat earth card. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It shouldn't be an issue in Christian identity. You know, this one guy posted a, I think it was Job thirty-eight twelve, something about the clay being flat, the clay of the earth being flat. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you up. know something? That is simply an allegory. What I did, I pulled up the 38th chapter of Job. In fact, looked in Strong's at all, every verse in Job with earth in it. Every there were two different words. Forty-five of the words were erects. And the other three or four times it was used, I can't remember what it was. But the other three or four times it referred to it, it was dust. You know, dust, dirt, stuff like that. And it's erects just like it is back in Genesis 6 and 7 about the flood. But, you know, a particular land area. It was everybody round or flat. So I think you first heard me when I was at FGCP at Fellowship of God's Covenant People when I did Unity and Divisions. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was impressed. And so I thought, uh, well, this is a guy I want to meet up with. So um, that was like a two-hour church talk. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> well, I appreciate your hanging in there with it. And following along.
You're too quiet. I am. I'm in the corner over here. <laughs> I hope you've studied behind that. Yes, definitely. Just don't take his word for it. No, I have. Uh, I'm actually one of the more researcher types that. Uh, that's like great. To prove something that's true. It's. It's always been my philosophy and Clifton's. We don't want just people to believe us. We want people to pick up our work, go check it out for themselves, right. and prove it. And then they become partners, not followers. People who just believe you become a follower. And you could have a million sycophants, and they're always half-baked, and they're never 100%. We don't want sycophants. We don't mm. want followers. We just want fellow workers. And when you pick up the material, study it after it for yourself, and realize that it is true, or even realize that most of it's true and correct a few mistakes, which is fine too, then you become a partner. And, and we can all be peers in this battle that we have in front of us. Fellow, fellow soldiers. That's what we're supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be men seeking followers. We're all supposed to be fellow soldiers. That's when... That's when what you're doing bears fruit. Mm -hmm. What you're doing doesn't bear fruit when you just got 100 or 200 or 10,000 followers that, that are blind followers, the blind leading the blind, right? <laughs> it's That's no good. That's not what you want. <laughs> you want um, to build a community of fellow workers all working together for the same objective who own the information. Because when you own this for yourself, it is that pearl of the field. When you come to own it for yourself and understand it for yourself and know that it's true and hold it and, and be able to defend it and disseminate it, that then that's that pearl in the field. That that's invaluable. So how did you get into CI, Sonny? <laughs> Let's hear your story. I know you love to talk. <laughs> you might make this podcast. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. How much time? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. These are always open ended, but I mean, around midnight, we're going to start getting pissed. Okay. <laughs> Spring of 1983, I was a Southern Baptist. I'd been born again twice and saved three times since I was. I think the first time was back when I was about 10 years old. And how many altar calls? Only one. Only made one altar call. Okay. The other two, the pastor came out to the house and did it out there. Anyway, <laughs> in 1983, I was lit spring of 1983, I was living with my grandmother. She went to Southern Baptist Church. Hers was about three blocks away, and she walked, and I drove to mine about six miles away. And... Uh, She'd left one Sunday morning. I just decided I didn't want to go to church. I've been out playing around Saturday night before and decided to stay home and tuned in the TV and it landed on Worldwide Church of God, Herbert W. Armstrong. And I've been having some thoughts about hell 
for a few weeks, asked the preacher about it, and he couldn't he couldn't answer the questions. Well, that Sunday morning, that's what Herbert W. Armstrong was talking about, talking about Gehenna, and you know a little bit about this all came from Greek pagan Greek mythology. And he had a Bible correspondence course, and I sent off and got that, and I got his book, America and Britain in Prophecy. In June of 1983, I moved to Montana, continued my studies up there for a while, and then just dropped them, and came back to Arkansas in January of 1984, got married six months later, and didn't even think any more about this. We started we started back at the same Southern Baptist Church I was going to, and didn't think any more about what I read from Armstrong until 1986. I was driving down the road. I was in route sales and heard a guy. There was a guy on the talk show that afternoon, former Secretary of Interior James Watt under Reagan. They got fired for criticizing a, a cripple, a Jew, and a black. Anyway, he had written a book exposing everything going on in Washington. I called the bookstore. They had two copies left. I said, save them. I picked them up that evening, and I've been mad ever since. That was just the start. Anyway, that book led to another book, led to another book, and I met my mentor, of CI and my it became my best friend about a year later. He had, he was Seventh Day Seventh Day Adventist at the time, and the only reason he was Seventh Day Adventist because that was the only church that worshipped on Seventh Day, supposedly the Seventh Day. That's another story. Anyway, that's only a half truth, too, right? Yeah, but uh, he started showing me things in the Bible that I had read before, but never saw it the way that he was explaining it. That was the first time I was ever introduced to Strong's Concordance. He started showing me things in Strong's, and I said, wow. <laughs> the preacher never said anything about that. Or he never explained the definition of this word. He's, And that's the way it went. Well, Bob had been listening to Sheldon Emery for a couple of years. This was in 86. I think Emery had been dead, what, a couple of years? Mm -hmm. But anyway, he was on, his recordings were on every Sunday night on KAAY in Little Rock. And I started listening to him, and I started recording him. Then I got on his mailing list, and I followed Sheldon, I guess, for probably 10 years. You know, reading his, still reading his materials. And like like Bill said a while ago, he I don't think I ever heard the word seed line, but he never talked anything about the Jews coming out of Cain or Cain being uh, not being Adam's son. Right. It, it's he never brought that liners. up. It's the two seed liners that labeled them one seed line. Okay. And they would deny the whole, for the most part, mm -hmm. they would deny the whole. Um, Paradigm of seed line, right? What, which was in, in, is incredible to me. Right. But the big thing about Emory that I did learn from him 
was that the Jews are not God's chosen people. And what happened to the, you know, estimates are 20 million Israelites who were taken into the Assyrian captivity and never returned to the Middle East. And when I saw that this came right out of the Bible, what happened to them, uh, and, you know, you can read it, when you, when you begin to understand this, you can read the Bible and you can tell where they went, you know, through history. And uh, when these things started coming, you know, registering to me, that's what I, the big thing I got out of Emory. Well, I bounced from Emory to a guy by the name of David J. Smith out of St. Anne, Missouri, who was a full mixture of CI and Church of God. I was going to say he was more like Armstrong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, I actually used to be able to listen to him when I was in prison mm -hmm. on AM radio. Yeah. For a couple of years. And it was probably because he was more fundamentalist type. Right. But he still talked about the 10 tribes being exactly. Israel. Exactly. From there, Pete Peters followed him for three or four years. From there, Dan Gaiman. Then I kind of drifted around for a few years, not really followed anybody, just studying on my own. In 2010, I ran across Eli James. I don't know how, I don't have no, any, no idea how I came to run into him. And I had gotten on Facebook, I think, in 2010. Was it about 2011 when I first ran into Melissa? In you or 2012? Yeah, you, you were fighting me in 2013. You were telling people I was a Jew. Yeah, I was telling people Bill was a Jew. <laughs> Melissa was working on me. Melissa's dad was working on me. And here I am following Eli, believing everything he said. I think some of my friends might call that stuck on stupid. But I don't <laughs> it don't bother me. <laughs> then an, another a mutual friend today that was a friend of Bill's back then, friend of yours back then, was Don Brown. Don wasn't my friend on Facebook, and he kept trying to friend become my friend. We had both gotten into an Arnold Murray chat room, and we were both saying basically the same thing. But I wouldn't, you know, I just wouldn't friend him. I'd heard bad things about him from. I think somebody by the name of uh, Rebecca <laughs> up in Ohio. Don's a great guy. Don will just, if, if he has a disagreement with you, he's like a pit bull that got your ankle. Right. And he ain't letting you go. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly the way he did me. And, the, and this gal said, you're going to regret it if you friend him. And I went on and sent him a friend request, became friends with him, and the first papers he sent me was, I don't remember what it was, but something about Clifton. And I started reading it. Then I started devouring his website and read everything. Uh, I just, I couldn't even get though it, it was on Chris Even <clears throat> Yeah, I didn't even notice the, the address. Then I started seeing the name Bill Fink. That Bill Fink was doing the proofreading for Clifton. And I thought, oh my gosh. <laughs> he kept going. I kept going. Kept read, I kept reading. And then here I saw one authored by Bill Fink, by William Fink. And after I read that paper, I didn't realize it was you until I got to the end of the page. I said, hmm, this makes sense. 
And then I read a few more by Bill. And then I got into the Christogenius site, started reading there. And uh, like Berlin said a while ago, I started researching everything that I could. I'd been hearing Eli talk all this history for two or three years, these historical papers he got. And I thought Eli was all wise. Well, I began to learn where Eli got all this information from. <laughs> and uh, Bill and I finally became friends. Bill, Melissa, and I became friends. And I started, I continued researching everything that I'd read it, and then I'd start researching it. That's what we want people to do. And I told right. Brad. We want people to do that. I encourage that. You know, he's got all of these books out here. We were showing, he was showing off his, all these books in the House Clifton's and his, Doug and Ferland and Brett earlier. And, uh, you know, I walk by them every day. Only one I picked up off one of the shelves is Mein Kampf reading it. <laughs> but, uh, and that was, you know, that was another thing. That was another thing I learned. I got in, in, what was called the constitutional movement that was going on in Little Rock at the time. I'd read a book by Tupper Saucy called Miracle on Main Street, Returning the U.S. to, to Constitutional Coinage. The Would Constitution is the thing that got us into this mess. I know. <laughs> it took me years to learn that, too. But uh, I read that, and then the biggest thing that I had to get over was 35 years being pounded in my, into my head to get Jews or God's chosen people. I was reading a book titled War Cycles, Peace Cycles by Richard Kelly Hoskins, and he tells the cycles of wars and peace all the way back to Babylon. And he also tells who was causing all of these things, basically. After reading about a third of the book, I couldn't take it anymore. You know, this is God's people. Why would he be saying all these things? I put the book down, wouldn't read it. About a year later, I picked it up and I read it cover to cover in a week. That's a thick book. But, uh, you know, what I got into your site, I started studying. I pulled up the classics, the ones that are online. I've got them in my Most of them are bookmarks. online now, just about all of them are online. Yeah, I've got them in my bookmarks. You'd say something, I'd go, go to Diodorus Siculus or Herodotus or Strabo and look it up. Sure enough, right there it is. And, you know, it's not, how do I say this? It's not worded in the language that the Bible is in because a lot of the names, you're going to have to figure the names out. Does that make sense? I'm talking like, like uh, Zerah's five sons. You know, they're named in the Bible, but the names are a little bit different in history. Darda. Yeah, they don't all appear in history, but Darda does. And, Calcol. And Calcol does. Okay. But yeah. You, you have Darda and you, you have Dardanus, right? Cheops and Calcol are the same thing, aren't they? Are the same one, aren't they? No, they're not. Is that different? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and then Troas, Troas, or Tro, Tros. But Troas, Tros isn't mentioned in the Bible. No. 
Tros is a is a grandson or great grandson of Darda. The and that's where the name Tor came from. Yes. And uh, you know the Bible says there in Genesis maybe forty seven, I believe it is, where Jacob's family comes into Egypt. All everybody's named. Of the sons are named and their families. And it's got Zerah coming in to have his sons, but it's got Perez's sons listed. Makes you kind of wonder why nobody's ever said anything about this. And one of the things about Bill, he will he will make comments that will cause you to think. When you can sit in church and listen all day and then never say anything that cause you to think. And that's led me to where where I am today. Much more grounded than I was five years ago. I'm done. It's not midnight. Well, well, that's yeah, yeah, right. I doubt you're done. You're now we need back to, on now. Us. We just need to shoot the bull. That yeah, you're just holding back on us. <laughs> Wish we had a call-in line. People could call in and ask questions. We, we, yeah, yeah, I could set up a call-in line, but I'm not sure, 100% sure. I've never tested the technology, right? Oh, okay. Skype is not reliable. I, I haven't tested it. I could run a second instance of Skype on this machine yeah. and, and pass it over to this one. I, I, I don't want to trust it, right? <laughs> Skype changes. Microsoft is screwing with this program all the time. And I don't have a sound engineer like they do in, in real radio stations, right? Right. Sorry, I'm not Art Bell. I'm Boogie Fan. That the um. Wow. I'm not raking in the money like they're raking in either. Yeah, right. That, <laughs> the bottom line is study, right? I, I mean, study is the key, and and there's so many people that that have um. Come and gone in my ministry, in my forums, in the chat rooms. They've come and gone and coming up like a revolving door. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that even most people that find CI don't study enough to really become established. Exactly. To really become well founded. <clears throat> and and even most people that find CI are still pulled off like like this recent division with the damned mm -hmm. prosperity gospel clowns. Right. Uh, I mean, come on. Prayerism. No. Well, where real yeah. Christians expect to be persecuted, expect to suffer, expect to have divisions in their families, and don't expect mansions on the beach in Destin. Right. How could people be pulled away by that? By this abundant life crap that even niggers teach in, in on the streets in Atlanta. Smooth talkers. It's incredible. It, it's what we're looking for a... a um, all I'm looking for is to build a firm academic basis for Christian identity. Mm -hmm. That's been my only endeavor since I wrestled with myself in prison for three or four years to find out if Christian identity is true, and I became persuaded that it was. Right. And, and that took, it, it took me a couple of years to become persuaded in two seed line. And it took a couple of years and going back and forth with Clifton and another couple of friends we corresponded with to realize that the sixth and eighth day creation thing is bullshit. That the bottom line is that the Bible's a book only about white people. Right. 
that niggers and 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 other races weren't created by no, God. That they that they're not even part of our creation. They're not even a, a factor in in except that they must be part of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right. It took me a couple of years to develop that understanding of scripture. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen overnight, and I didn't make this shit up. It, it was years of prayer and introspection and, and debating with Clifton and David Gray, another good friend that was involved, who actually did teach me a lot back then, back in 1998, 99. Right. And, and they both got me to think, to come to where I am today. And they should have as much credit for it. Right. So it, it's, again, it's a group effort of men willing to study together. That's what it is. And teach our fellow our fellow brothers and sisters. And and or try to try to wake up our white brothers and sisters that my, are still blind. Right. My my website isn't so much a development of theology as Clifton's is. Hmm. Clifton did have to shift his positions on a few things over fifteen years, right? Hmm. But that's because Clifton was writing as we were debating and studying out and hashing things out. I met Clifton over a dispute on the Phoenicians, mm -hmm. right? He thought they were Canaanites, and I disputed with him. That's how I met him. That's how we got to start working together. That's how we got to start corresponding. And Clifton has done a lot to motivate me to do what I've done. Right. <clears throat> so that that's men willing to work together and study together and not hate each other when the other guy's right. <laughs> right. That's the bottom. Right there, that's the bottom line. Right. If you show me something and you're right. It's called humility. Yeah, that's humility. Why should I hate you for it? Exactly. I should love you for it. You know, it's just like you. You got me out of my error. You and I have a couple of contentions over thing, over a couple of things. One is Tia Tappy. Uh, and the other, I think, is over the location of the Garden of Eden. Well, I'm going by the information that I that I have there in Haberman's book. And yeah, also but a lot of Judas people Scepter. read that stuff and take it as gospel. I know. Judas Scepter and Joseph's birthright. Yeah. A lot of that early British Israel stuff. I know, well, and I, I took it that same way, but I'm looking at Tia Teffy going back to what Jeremiah says there, uh, that he was called to build, to, to throw down, to break down, to whatever. And then oh, no, I do believe that the king's daughters did escape to, right. to Europe. I do believe that. They right. had to. Uh, otherwise, the, um, well, the, the, story. The, the topmost branch prophecy of Ezekiel fails. Right. And the prophecy can't fail. Right. Okay. But the popular story that we have, there's no documentation for it. That's what I'm. That's what I mean. There's no real documentation for it. A lot of that was just the Book of Tethy is a fabrication. I've never read it. Oh, I have it over there on a the shelf. You yeah, can read I think it. I think I've looked looked at it online, but I just never, I just never wanted to read it. Right. Well, well, the British Israel people fabricated a lot of stuff, or or they. They overexpounded on a lot of stuff. Right. One or the other, right? 
that they elaborated stuff <coughs> or extrapolated entire stories out of maybe a couple of myths that they shouldn't have gone there. Right. It doesn't help us. It doesn't help us to create a tale. If you have a few basic facts that you really can't, or, or things that you think of facts from ancient mm -hmm. writings that you really can't build a narrative from because you don't have supporting enough supporting evidence for that right. narrative, don't build the narrative because it's going to turn out to be a fairy tale. You know, it's just like for years there, and I was following Herbert Armstrong. I went to, they had a Garner Ted Armstrong, his son. And I think it was Worldwide Church of God also had a, had two or three churches there in Little Rock. And there was a, I had a competitor when I was in selling maintenance products that went to one of these churches, Worldwide Church of God churches of the Corner Tits. And, you know, we became friends and we discussed some things. We'd meet every once in a while. We'd discuss some things out there on the highway. But I think it was about this time. I was reading my Bible one day and I was in Second Kings 17, 18, and 19. And when I read 2 Kings 18, 13, where Sennacherib came into Assyria, came into uh, Samaria, or came into northern Israel, and then went into Judah and took the 46 fence cities of, Jeru of Judah into the Assyrian captivity, I, that killed Jews or Judah, didn't they? That should. You know, right there. I said, I never read that. And then I saw, I had seen something about Sennacherib's prison or the, the black onyx or whatever it is. It's got that written on it of that he took over 200,000, mm -hmm. five or something like that of the kingdom of Judah. In right, Captain. over 200,000. Right. And then I had also heard that I heard from a couple of sources that there were over a million people taken into Babylon. But then Jeremiah 52nd chapter says only 4,600 of, of Judah were taken into Babylon. I don't think we can tell how many people were taken into Babylon. Mm -hmm. It had to be a significant sum because it was um, all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and, and that was a significant city. It was a significantly sized city. Right. I mean, the population estimates range up to two million, anywhere from four hundred thousand to two million. Right. You got to understand that a lot of them probably died in battle. Right. A lot of them probably died or were killed in a looting and pillaging process, fled, went off into slavery elsewhere, whatever. Right. But a significant sum of people had to be taken off okay. from such a major city so more than into captivity, much more than forty-six thousand. That, that Peter is when he writes his epistles, he's in Babylon. Mm -hmm. He's not freaking kidding. He's not using Babylon as an allegory for any other city. The revelation is not written yet. Right. There's nowhere in Scripture where Babylon is used as an allegory for any other city or for any other entity until the revelation. And Peter's writing his epistles <clears throat> probably 30 years before the revelation is written. Mm -hmm. So you can't say, oh, Peter meant Rome when he said Babylon. Right. 
when, when the same damn Roman Catholic Church denies that Rome is mystery Babylon in Revelation chapter 13, right? right? Or chapter 18, and right? And insist that Peter came to Rome. <clears throat> yeah. That the, um, <clears throat> when Peter said he's in Babylon, he's in Babylon. Why? Babylon was still standing. Because he, Bab Peter was the apostle to the circumcision. Mm -hmm. That's why. Right. And there was still a lot of the circumcision in that area. That was That's what, why. That was like 40 A.D. Peter probably wrote his epistles after Paul's, cap, after Paul's imprisonment in Rome and maybe after Paul's execution. Right. And I believe that because if you read those epistles, in the first epistle, he's addressing it to Christian assemblies in all the places where Paul preached, all the assemblies Paul founded. In the second one, he puts his stamp of approval on Paul's ministry in 2 Peter chapter 3. So he is basically supporting Paul's teachings to an audience of Christians in assemblies that Paul founded. That's the way I look at those two epistles. And when you read the second epistle, it was written a short time after the first epistle to the same audience, mm -hmm. to the same group of people. Right. Yeah. I don't think I, I, I don't remember if I... I think they're called strange. Expounded on all of that in, in my presentations of Peter's epistles. They were a long time ago, but if I didn't, maybe someday I'll do it better. Right. I think they're called strangers, aren't they? The strangers are, are just sojourners. Right, I know that. But I think that's what they're called. Well, I mean, that's the story, eh? Anything to add to that? No, I got a bunch of shy guys. <laughs> Except for some. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm tickled that um most that, that most I got the, 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 the <laughs> cooperation that, 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 that we did. I mean, <laughs> that was great to hear. It's a great testimony. And and people love to hear how others got into Christian identity because there ain't no recipe for getting somebody onto Christian identity. You can't, that there ain't no standard um, instruction, set of instructions or manual that you could follow to convert people to Christian identity. You can't do, we can't do the converting anyway. All we can do is plant seeds and let the Holy Spirit do the converting. Yeah, right. Well, that's the big part of it. And, you know, that's, we have to be good sowers. But we have to know what we're talking about before we can sow it. Mm -hmm. Well, well, right, and and to me that that's why I've always been a real pragmatist, because when you start talking about um, Glastonbury and you put a, a a name and and a fable onto Zedekiah's daughters, like the Tiafie story, well, when you start talking about all this stuff that you really can't prove from a history book, then you're making yourself a target for the scoffers. Exactly. But when you stick to the basic facts that can be established 
from the writings of ancient history, mm -hmm. then you're building a firm foundation and, and it can't be shaken. That's why I don't, you know, I made that comment about Tiatafi and about uh, the Tarim Basin. And, you know, that's what I've, I've looked at that. I understand it, but you never see me make, hardly ever see me making any comment about Tiatafi online on Facebook. I'll be getting into arguments with with these spooks and a couple of these groups. And, I, you know, I don't care what they think because I'm not talking to them. I'm posting in there trying to get away from them. I'm posting there so other sheep can see what I'm saying. Yeah, you want to do it for the benefit of white people. Yeah. I think you're beating your head against the wall half the time, but it might be a worthwhile endeavor for you. <laughs> <coughs> it, it's to me, my, my prison experience told me real quick that. I guess I'm a troublemaker on there too, aren't I? It, it, like it, one of our female right. friends. <laughs> It, if a if a white man doesn't have some semblance of racial awareness, he ain't never gonna get this message. And I'm just wasting my time talking to him. Right. Just let the niggers have him. I've gotten in the last in this last week, I've gotten quicker at asking people with one question: Are you a white European ancestor? And I'll ask them three or four times. Sometimes it takes three or four times. For them to answer. And most of them are coming back saying, No, I'm half Scottish, half Cherokee. I'm <laughs> half American, half Cherokee. I see, well, this conversation's over. Yeah. 10,000 Cherokees escaped the, the Trail of Tears, and half of the South is half Cherokee. Yeah. And they had a lot of babies, didn't they? They had a lot of babies with, with white women while yeah. they were hiding in the woods in North Carolina. <laughs> Apparently so. They can impregnate people all the way to New Hampshire. <laughs> I've met Yankees that told me they were half Cherokee. It's always Cherokee. It ain't, oh, oh I'm, uh, I'm half Seneca Indian or I'm half, I'm half this weird tribe or that weird yeah, tribe. It's always Cherokee. When I was going up to Rhode Island, I saw some of the strangest sounding Indian names I'd ever seen. Tribal names. Right, but you won't say, yet you won't, in, in New Jersey, we had the Pamrapo Indians, right? You'd never meet somebody that says, oh, I'm half Pamrapo Indian or a quarter Pamrapo Indian. <laughs> no, you only meet people that say, I'm a quarter Cherokee. I never hear anybody say I'm half Cherokee. Even in New York. Right. <laughs> and they're all Jews in New York. Yeah, Jew York. So how did William Penn find a Cherokee woman? <laughs> I don't remember the story now. Okay, but that was a story from a mutual, you might say, friend of ours a few years back. Eli James? No, Betty Virginia Howell. Oh, that dumbass. Yeah, she's, William Penn dead now. Brought my okay, so over. she's a good dumbass <laughs> yes. now. But she, when she. He claimed that she was a great, 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 whatever granddaughter of a marriage between William Penn and a Cherokee woman. And she's just full of shit. <laughs> but she's part Indian, though. Whatever part I don't And there were Cherokees all over Pennsylvania. There weren't any Algonquins or any Iroquois. They were all Cherokees. Get the hell out of here. <laughs>
That, that's how I, I, I've had blonde haired, blue eyed kids from Tennessee tell me I'm part Cherokee. And I look at them and say, get the hell out of here. Yeah. What are your grandparents' names? What's your grandmother's last name? Your, your mother's mother. What's her last name? I don't know. Okay. What's your mother's maiden name? They might know that. They might know that. What's your grandfather's name nine now, generations back? What's your father's mother's name? I don't know. If you don't know none of your ancestors, <laughs> how the hell do you know that you're half Cherokee? Exactly. Pocahontas. Yeah, right. That's exactly what it is. Well, it's I saw it on a Disney cartoon. Basically, <laughs> it, it's, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, you know something? It's all part of our punishment. Exactly. It, it's all part of the punishment that we bear and that we're not supposed to know what the hell is what until the final day when it's all revealed. You know, the seven times punishment began ending in 1776. And then what? Until about Benjamin became a nation, what, 1936, 1943? If they went into punishment incrementally, it makes sense that they came out of it incrementally. That's an old British Israel idea. I'm not going oh, was to. It? Yes. I didn't it, know it, that. it goes back to Adam Rutherford and right. pyramidology, right? Well, I'm, yeah, Benjamin does. Well, well the whole scheme okay. of. of Different tribes going into captivity at different times. A lot like the first tribes of Israel went into captivity probably in the 750 something BC, 760 something BC, right? Yeah. What when tribes on the other side of the Jordan? Well, when I heard you started going into Assyrian captivity, it was I think it was on the Isaiah series with you and Eli. You were talking about Phoenicia the other day, Tyre. Uh, up around 28, 29, or chapter 30, somewhere in there. You're talking about Phoenicia, Tyre, uh, the cities of Tyre that Hiram didn't want. And you and I talked about that when I got back here to the house. But you were making a comment in there about how Assyria was coming down into that area. Yeah. 750, 755 BC. They, they were going into Syria in. in 840 something BC okay. they started. It took them a hundred years to work their way down. Right. It really did to project their power. Mm -hmm. That you see um Jeroboam II went and reconquered all the land all the way up the coast of Syria to Hamath right. for Israel. Right? Right. Why did he have to reconquer it? Because they were either independent states that rebelled and proclaim their independence, or they, they were already taken by the Assyrians. Okay. And date Jeroboam too. And and Jonah was one of the earliest of the prophets who was prophesying at that time that Assyria began extending its power. Right. That's when Jonah was prophet. Earlier than the other prophet, earlier than Isaiah, earlier than Hosea, earlier than Micah, earlier than Amos, was Jonah. And he didn't want to go to Nineveh because Nineveh was rising as a power com to compete with Jerusalem and Samaria. It was an opposing power that was just developing and extending itself into an empire. Jonah didn't want to go there. Right. And Yahweh made him go there. All of these um, mainstream commentaries date Jonah late. 
Jonah was actually probably, I think in, in my chronology of the prophets, he may have been the earliest of the 14 prophets. So Maybe he is. I don't remember off the top of my head the exact order I have them in, but he may have been the earliest. Well, I guess that's um Is it eight thirty yet? That that's probably about a podcast. I, I mean unless we have anything else to add. I'm looking at Ferlin and he's <laughs> no. No way, not me. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, I started first. I will add one thing. I'll add one thing else. I'm sitting here running this through my mind because of what I said a minute ago about listening to you and Eli or Jeremiah. Even though I don't care for Eli any longer, I do like to listen to this, and I think I've told you this. Every time he ends the program, he says, Thank you, Bill. He don't ever give you credit. Yeah, but, you know, uh, when I split with Eli, half my listeners loved it. They were elated. <laughs> And the other half were disappointed. Yeah. And some of those other half went off to, to be with Eli. Right. But I can be, I'll drive around for an hour and a half in the mornings, and I'm listening to these tapes on my speakers in the car, podcast on cell phone, and every morning I'll catch something that I have not heard before. Every time I listen to these things, I'll catch something I haven't heard before. And that was just like when I started reading your commentaries. And for those of you out there that like to read, too, there are no commentaries on Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel. That was all off the top of my head. I know. But uh, when I started reading the commentaries of the New Testament and the Old Testament, I would read the commentaries first before I ever loaded the podcast on my phone. You know, for some of those programs, I may have tossed some notes together. But when I was doing podcasts with EY, I was building all my websites. Mm -hmm. Most of my time was going into building my websites. Mm -hmm. And I spent typically two or three hours preparing for a program with EY. Where now, typically, I spend 12 or 14 hours on a Friday night Bible study. With Eli, I used to start sometime Friday afternoon to get ready for a Friday night. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't um, have a mind to get a commentary down in, in writing. I just didn't at the time. I was too busy building websites. and That's true, and you were covering a lot more on each one of those podcasts at that time than you cover now. You know why? Two reasons. Eli rushed everything and had nothing to contribute. <laughs> yeah. That's the way it is. That there were some nights what we blew through the whole Colossians epistle in like one night he's moving on to Thessalonians or something. <laughs> he, he pissed me off. He rushing it. There is there is one other series that I will mention. I want to mention this for people out there, anybody out there that's having problems with two seed line. First thing, if you'll if you will read all the documents on Clifton site about the two seed line and then download Bill's Pragmatic Genesis. 
and listen to every podcast on Pragmatic Genesis. That's only 28 podcasts. I know. And there's no right. There's only one that's written in it. Only one there's commentary. There's no writing. No commentaries at no, all. It's all off the top of my if head. You, if you're having any problems with 2C line, if you will listen to those, <coughs> I guarantee you it will take every question you have about it away. That's all I got to say. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I did Pragmatic Genesis so that I could just um, correct a lot of the, the, the mis misconceptions with the six and eight day creation bullshit and show people the right way to look at the Jacob and Esau story and clear up a lot of little, um, a lot of little heresies that have evolved in CI. Mm -hmm. That's why I did it. That's why I call it pragmatic, practical genesis. Because yeah. that's what it is to me. It, it's an understanding of genesis that just sticks to the scripture without trying to add any wild interpretations about eight-day creations. Right. And and that's what these one seed liners think we're doing when we, when we quote, add two seed line to it. I'd like, like to see Wayneyland. I'd like to see them go through pragmatic genesis and try to refute it. Yeah. Ted Wayneyland. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's listening. Yeah. They do their best to, to to make believe that I don't exist. I know. Stephen Jones, Ted Wayneyland, all of them. They do their best to just make believe I don't exist. That's okay because they'll get theirs in the end. I'm not um, daunted by that. Seems like I'm earning I'm earning a reputation out there like you are. Ted don't like me anymore. Ted Willen's just a clown. Yep. And, and the people that support him are just clowns. Yep. I, I don't. They're not doing us any favors. <laughs> what? Well, where? Yeah. You know. Wow. We, we we are looking at the as far as I'm concerned, we're looking at the last stretch mm -hmm. in the era of a Danic man on earth. Jacob's true. We are surrounded by enemies. We're being exactly. overrun by niggers, thicks, chinks, every other fucking race you could imagine. Exactly. We are being led around by the nose by Jews. It's oh if the Bible's not true. It's over for white men. Yep. And the world's most brilliant race goes down in, into the mire. And it will be in the Stone Age and the in, into years. sludge. Right. For no logical explanation whatsoever. Exactly. So we're facing that this great challenge. And these clowns are arguing over whether. Eve was a whore or not. Right. When we have millions of Eves and Adams all around us mm -hmm. who are whores. Right. When most of the men of our race, wow, I don't want to get too graphic, <laughs> but would get on their knees in front of a fucking nigger in a minute. Right. That, prove, that alone proves that we could sink to that level. 
that we're capable of sinking to that level. Well, we can, you can already look around and see that we're at the same place Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, we are facing this challenge, and they're arguing over church bullshit, basically. They're arguing over church fairy tales, church myths. And they would rather spend all their time arguing than confront the reality of the times and the reality of the situation that our race is in. Right. They'd rather argue over Genesis than confront reality. They'd rather believe that that friggin' fruit was an apple than confront reality. Right. It, it's basically that they're being escapists. Cognitive dissonance. It, it, to me, it's incredible yeah. that we have this great challenge. I got this great challenge in front of me that I, I'm trying to get other people to join me in. I'm not saying that I'm any sort of leader in it, but this is the battle of our times, and you're off teaching prosperity gospel. We're looking for a political solution. Yeah. Or, or looking for a political solution, right, or worshiping Trump yeah. or, or something stupid like that. So, so even among the, the most hardcore 2C light people, you have a whole lot of divergences of opinion right. that you shouldn't have. No. We shouldn't have these. Oh, well. Maybe it's just supposed to be that way because we know that we can't save ourselves. Right, exactly. We know that. That's what we're told, flat out, period. I, Yahweh, I'm your savior. There is no savior besides me. Mm -hmm. He tells us that. Exactly. Okay. We just want people to be ready to expect what's coming and to arise and thresh when they get the call. I'm ready. That's what I'm waiting on. That's the important thing. Me too, yeah. And we all hope we're not Clifton's age when it happens. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Clifton. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Keep your prayers with Clifton Emmeheiser. Uh, I'm asking this of my listeners. Keep your prayers with Clifton Emmeheiser. Where, where hoping that at 91 that he's not done yet. That's all I could say. Praise Yahweh. Thank you for listening. And good night. Praise Yahweh.